For me, a five-star movie, in my eyes, is a movie that, when it's crafted, when it's out there for the public to consume, and I look at it, I think that this is a remarkable piece of filmmaking that only a handful of people could write, could direct, could act. When I saw this movie, I immediately knew that this was something that could not be topped in any way, shape, or form. So a couple of movies, you know, obviously that, you know, Schindler's List, Casablanca, Showgirls, five fucking stars. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. I, I sometimes wonder what it must be like in your brain. And this is for sure one of those times. It's, it is a wild ride, I'll tell you that much. So we're going to smack a big old content warning on this episode, right? Uh, we should. Um, uh, holy um... shit. <laughs> it's, you know, it's really fascinating to me that Paul Verhoeven's empathy began and ended with the fucking robot man. I mean, for his movies about sex, where sex is like the primary thing and then where action is the primary thing. He kind of tells the same sort of morality stories in a bit. Like, he's super judgmental of Americans, which I'm totally fine with. But <laughs> the way he tells stories about, like, RoboCop and, like, um, Starship Troopers is remarkably different than Basic Instinct and Showgirls. Showgirls is interesting in the fact that I feel like it's probably the only movie where you can have, like, any take on it. And you'd still be right. Like, I feel like no take cancels out the other. Yeah, definitely nothing supersedes anybody. Because they're both wild rides in their own rights. And they both are up for interpretation by the viewer. There's no rights or wrongs. Bunch of gray area. Well, there's a couple of wrongs. Well, yeah. (laughs) There's there's some some very real wrong. Opinions on the films. Not what occurs in the films. All right. So, <laughs> I guess this, <laughs> in a conversation between Basic Instinct and Showgirls, Basic Instinct is definitely the easier conversation. <laughs> I'm coming in. I'm coming in hot on Showgirls. I literally have like the credits just started when I clicked in. Oh no! <laughs> it's, um, fresh. It's, it's like burned in my mind. So it's, well, it's like damn. a still bleeding scab. It's messy. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Next time you suggest a duo of movies, I think I'm just going to say no on Reflex. (laughs) I mean, hey, if you want to throw some out there, I'm definitely open. Well, right now, I just feel like I got beat with a frying pan. So, you Mm, know. Accurate. Accurate. (laughs) No lie there. This is a BDSM episode. I I learned a lot of things about myself today. One of which was 
Oh my god, I'm tired. You know the funny thing? I was so I was watching Basic Instinct and I was recalling our conversation on Kim Cattrall on Sex and the City and how Kat was saying she wanted the sex in Sex and the City not to be so vanilla. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want it to be rape. Oh, yeah, it's a I was singing the Sharon Stone character specifically. Oh, Sh- Sharon Stone? Hell yeah, brother. Big fan of her. I was like, ah, yes, good. I was like, <laughs> it's good too. The, the movie was uh, should have been about her. Michael Douglas didn't even want her in the movie. <laughs> well, Michael well, Douglas can get fucked as far as I'm concerned. He definitely did. Actually, it's, that's actually pretty on brand for what this movie is about his character. Like, his character is totally not smart. Like, like no. he thinks he is. He but literally he is. thinks with his penis the entire film. It's literally... What, hmm, let me use my big brain or do I use my little brain? Let's go with the little brain. And that is how he proceeds through the whole film. It was kind of nice, though, because I think part of the reason that I like certain... It's it's very noir-inspired, obviously, even though it's kind of gross and gritty and 90s-y. But it's not kind of. It's all those things. It was kind of nice to see there be consequences for any of the 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 actions of the, the white hero man. Remember when I was, like, kind of bent out of shape about the fact that nobody talks about the fact that Harrison Ford just, like, straight up rapes somebody in Blade Runner? Yes. That's about how I feel about these movies. Where I'm like, they, I, they might be good, they might be fine, but, like, Showgirls is kind of, in, in some circles, discussed as almost torture porn, which I think is is fair. But uh, a lot of people are like, Basic Instinct, good movie. And I was like, oh, there's a rape happening. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Yeah. Well, yes, but... <laughs> so difficult to get this conversation started. Go ahead. I figure no, we that's... just start with the real ugly shit, right? Let's, let's do it. Me saying, I guess, and but, like, yeah, like, there's there's violent atrocities in Basic Instinct, and yes, a rape does occur. And I think the functionality of what Michael Douglas' character is... I feel like that's honestly who that character actually is. And I don't think, I I think rape is a bad thing. I think in the functionality of the story for him being who he is, it it makes sense for the person that he is in this movie. I don't know that it does. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about, we're talking about what happens with Janine's triple horns character when he goes to visit her. Yeah. Um, Also, uh, she's hot as fuck. I just gotta Yo. get that on the record because I um, saw a lot of I saw a lot of comments that were like Sharon Stone though, and I was like, yes, that's a given. That's like saying the sky is blue and water is wet. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, like the third, dang, homie. You thought the scene started out really well and ended up really, really badly. Like it, it did, man. Because I mean, he goes to best apartment. I mean, this is after interrogation, and he's just frustrated at at Catherine Trammell's character, and. He, he goes to see Beth and, you know, they're just hanging out for a second, but he's got that look in his eyes. He's got that Michael Douglas look. And if you've watched enough Michael Douglas movies in the 90s, you know, he, he tends to uh, throw on the, the F me eyes very often. It's kind of a part of his his whole character uh, and reason why he was a leading man in the 90s. So he came in and gave her the look. She's all about it. 
and then like he has her against the wall and then he just snaps and it gets really ugly really quickly as a child and when i say child i watched this when i was shoot 12 13 for the first time um yeah i was me i was like five when i first watched this fucking movie bro oh, wow wow i was turned out Jesus. wow yeah. Oh, see, um, I was raised by like overprotective people. I was and, too. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm watching Basic Instinct, and my mother just went, oh, it's that kind of podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents hate the podcast. <laughs> and I was Life. like, it could. Yeah, I don't know. You'll have to back us on OnlyFans to find out. <laughs> oh my. Only pods. <laughs> when I was a kid, I mean, I didn't think, I didn't think too much of it, man. To be honest, I was, I was a preteen, and then watching this a few years ago, when that scene hit, I was like, "Yo, that wasn't consensual, and that's not cool." She also keeps yelling, "No, no, stop!" Yeah, yeah, repeatedly. Yeah. The thing that was frustrating to me is that, like, I do feel like the movie still expected you to kind of root for him a little. Yeah, I totally did. Uh, that that yeah, yeah that that's definitely gross. Re- rewatching it now. So for me, I feel like if if she had said no like once, and he had kind of kept going, and then she'd gone like stop no, and then he had like stopped, I think it would have been a lot easier to actually root for him at all. And then he kills her, and then that stuff happens later, and I'm like okay, great, you know, you still she goes for the ice pick, and you're still like yeah, fuck him up. But, like, I literally was like, kill him, kill him, kill him. Like, by the end, I was like, do a murder. Like, I was so. His ability to survive throughout this movie until the end is Was infuriating. Yes. I was like, literally, this is. And, like, I don't think that was what, like, the tone of the movie is at all. Like, the music in the last scene is meant to be this, like, kind of sad, apprehensive thing that they're having this one last beautiful moment together before she fucking wrecks his shit. And I'm like, do it. Do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, like, I mean, that's actually I, that's the whole not, thing. That's that not that's not the tone the movie is going for at all. But that's that's the fantasy, baby. There's two different things happening. So yes, yeah, so in the end, when she's crying before she fucks him, that's kind of her morality like seeping to the surface of, I have this impulse to kill him, but I'm reckoning with the fact that I have to commit another murder. Which is why she cries in the entire thing, but in the end, it doesn't pay off because she actually doesn't murder him. I will say, though, there's only one hero in this movie for real, and that's my man, Gus. How could you fuck her? Gus, come on. You want to die, Hoss? What is it, those goddamn tourists? You still feel so bad about that, you're wiggling your way into an ice pick? I'm not afraid of her. Why the hell not? I don't know. I'm just not. That's her pussy talking. It ain't your brain. <laughs> Gus, is, Gus is the real consciousness of Michael Douglas's character. And then in the end, for all his truth telling and for all his, even him being a drunken, kind of not buffoon, but in him being a drunken cop, he's still the only one that's brutally honest throughout the entire film and he gets murdered for it if you look at his character if you look at michael Douglas' character he is someone that the reason that captain tremel is attracted to him initially is because 
he has the the same impulse to kill as she does. So they they don't show it on screen, obviously, but it's implied that he murdered some tourists in San Francisco. He was coked out of his mind or whatever. So this is a so this you, is a, he's also murdered multiple people at one point. They sneak in the line that he like casually shot several yeah, groups of folks. Like yeah. not this didn't just happen one time, and then we see him do it. And like I don't know though, I feel like you can be a coked up maniac that shoots people without also being a rapist. I mean, yeah, you can, but. I mean, Paul. I don't understand why we needed to check all of those boxes. I mean, for us to want him to get murdered. This is a man who he he checks a lot of fucking boxes in this movie, man. Like, like yes, rape in movies is not is not needed. Like, well, it's it's not that it's not needed, but in this case, it serves no story purpose because if you if you remove it. He's still a bad man who does bad things and he's still sleeping with his therapist and they still have a falling out. This is an issue that I had with like Game of Thrones as well, where they were like, ah, the woman needs to grow time to rape her. Just don't do that. I think in this movie, he does it to accentuate the point that Michael Douglas really does not care about Gene Triplehorn's character. And so the idea of other ways there, to do yeah. that yes there there are but in a in a, a director who has the subtlety of an atomic bomb like he can't like that's the whole thing and so i, I mean we we both agree that yes it's not needed i think though the functionality of what that symbolizes is to show you how fully Jack does not care, and he was really only sleeping with her to get eternal affairs off of his back. Hey, listen, he loved that therapy, but what he really loved is to bust that nut. Oh, hey, man. (laughs) Yo, this... Oh, my God. Okay, but I did like it a lot. Hey, what's up, everybody? WWE Hall of Famer, The Godfather here. Special shout out to B. Hyphen and Handsome Bane for the WrestleCast Power Hour. And it's available everywhere. Podcasts or streams. So everybody check them out. You know, The Godfather will. And it's time once again for everybody at the Hyphen Podcast Group to come aboard the whole train. sweaty marks. I really appreciate like a solid mystery. I like a good noir revival kind of vibe. I do think the the energy here was really good and it was nice to see a movie with like a woman running the show. Like even though like Michael Douglas is the main character, like no he fucking isn't. Yeah. No he mm. goddamn is not. It's definitely Catherine Trammell's movie. Yeah, and he's He's a goddamn fly stuck in her fucking spider web. And that's what the movie is. Qu- quite literally. It's stuck in those webs. Jesus. Sharon Stone could run me over with a car, and I would pay her to do it again. She can set me up for murder any day of the week. <laughs> any, any fucking day, homie. 
one thing I will say about both of these movies is I both thought they could be like 15 minutes shorter. Oh, and yeah. Nothing of value would have been really lost. I mean, Verhoeven like had to put out extended cuts for both of them when they came out on VHS. So they definitely could have been shorter. They they definitely were love letters to I don't know. <laughs> Erotic, erotica. Erotica. Those were smut fictions. Those were yeah. smut fictions of love. That's, They're that's not the love letters thing. to anything. Someone wrote smut fiction about what he thinks romance must be like. And he didn't so, nail it at all. There was no, no love in no, any no, of no. these movies. All the I, love was lost. I <laughs> um, murdered. Gahoy. I really thought that Basic Instinct was like a really solid detective story, a really solid mystery. I like that, you know, in, in kind of the vein of like, Almost Sunset Boulevard, it's really about a woman taking advantage of a man until she gets tired of him. Yeah. And like awesome. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of that. As someone who <laughs> routinely dresses as Norma Desmond in my free time, uh, believe it or not, I think that's cool. But this is something I really struggled with, and I still haven't really come to a consensus on it. I don't think Paul Verhoeven likes women. Um, you, hey. you don't say hey that is a theme in his movies man like it really is which is really weird when he's like showgirl imagine if showgirls was directed by somebody who someone thought who gave that women shit. were people <laughs> i mean you might have something it would lose the total campness of it yes it, it would not i don't think it that. would i think it would be a very different kind of camp that i think probably would have aged better because you can be campy and schlocky and slutty and shitty and also treat your performers as people and hard, hard to believe i know i know i God. no um, well i'm well, I don't want to jump to showgirls yet, so yeah. let's kind of. But I think I think with it, it exists with Basic Instinct as well, though, because both of the women are just set up as the jump as villains, pretty much. Even though one of them is literally just like actually what, what? three of them, like uh, Roxy. Yeah. Catherine, oh yeah. Yes. Well, I also have learned that Paul Verhoeven does not like bisexuals in this. Oh outing he, he got no support from any anybody any yeah game. i got some feelings about that where she's like i like to watch and i was like cool uh making people a party to your kink without their consent is also like that sexual assault and there's actually a really interesting conversation that could have been had there if anybody gave a shit but nobody did so we're just not having that conversation i guess no uh, and it's it all about been moving really, to the next scene the ne- it would have been a really scene. great opportunity to to contrast those two as two negative forces in Catherine trammell's life but they didn't do that because women aren't people you know the funny thing is it kind of hit me last night after all the times that i actually watched this movie i think Catherine actually knew that michael douglas would murder roxy and i think that she knew having them watch them bone would actually put her over the edge because like the whole thing the whole baseline of what Catherine's thing is i understand kind of homicidal impulse and for roxy who has a homicidal impulse in her childhood it basically triggered her into wanting to do that for michael douglas but then on the offset michael douglas has that same input and instinct to kill when he needs to as well while you're right you're absolutely correct 
Like the shit that she does to trigger that is fucked up. And, and a better, more intelligent director can actually explore that. But I think it was basically used to to basically get her iced. Yeah, like every everything is a quick means to an end. There's there's no real explore, exploration. Like even from the jump, you're introduced to Catherine, and obviously it's like, all right, she did it. Like, and they keep trying to throw us red herrings throughout the film that there's that there's any difference. Like that maybe it was Beth, maybe it was Roxy, and it's just frustrating because it's like, why don't you just let Catherine be great? And they just they don't let her do that. Did you ever watch The Undoing on HBO? Uh, it was the Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman series where they not. were like the, in the first episode, they were like, Hugh Grant did a fucking murder. And we were all like, oh, no. And then the next six episodes were them going, maybe. Uh. <laughs> and then the, the end was them going, Hugh Grant did a fucking murder, just like we told you. And I was like. Right. Yeah, we did know that because you did tell us. And you never um, got those six episodes back. <laughs> there was some really good acting in those episodes, at least. Oh, good. Like, I definitely okay. got to see, like, the craft happen, which was, like, nice. But, like, it, yeah, no. I'm going to pitch one change to this movie that I think would make it huge. What if Roxy and Beth are killed by Michael Douglas? I think his name is, like, Jack or something horribly generic. Nick. Um, Nick. Nick. Oh, fuck. I said Jack I, earlier. I said I Jack earlier. That was my That's fault. That's what threw me um, off. I heard you say Jack, and then I was like, Yeah. <laughs> white man, white police brutality. Yeah. Top white white policeman, John, but with no H. Um, <laughs> you know. But anyway, John. Nick, imagine if those were, if he was killing parts of himself that he saw reflected in those women that he didn't like. And those were the things that were triggering him into a rage. And they actually took just a minute here and there to acknowledge that that was what was happening there there's no rationale for any of it though it's just like oh he he had this thing happen to him and he started sleeping with the therapist to to get right uh, you know and but like maybe the therapist starts kind of talking back in the way that he's been talking down to her and he can't handle that so he as soon as he kind of sees an opportunity to justifiably axe her, he does similar situation with Roxy where she see, he sees her like lack of control as it like there's, there's ways you could do this that would make it a compelling narrative, at least even if he's still like the bad guy, which I think he should be. And I feel like this movie was like, if we're really, really subtle about it and we don't invest in it, maybe people will pick up on it on their own. And like it doesn't, it does not. This movie does not invest in its ideas, not at all. Like I mean, she's literally writing out the murders as they're happening, and they they still can't pin anything on her. Nick even sees that his partner is going to the elevator and is going to get murdered, and what happens? His partner goes to the elevator, gets murdered, and, and like nothing is done. It's just like a plot, another plot device to push this movie along to the next hot sex scene. What if I did a murder? Yeah, what if you did a murder? That would be weird. <laughs> no big what deal. If, what if Nick killed Roxy because he was threatened by Catherine's uh, fluid sexuality? And so Roxy is, you That's know, totally obviously. I'm saying, but no, homie. But no, I'm, but no, like that, that happened. Put your hands up! Put your fucking hands up! I got a message on my machine to meet Gus here. Where is he? Don't move! Don't you move! I know about your husband. Is it like girls, Beth? What? Take your hand out of your pocket! Take him out! What's wrong with you? Take him out! 
if they made that a plot point in like a more meaningful way where he has any sort of self-reflection about it at all, then there might be room for him well, to actually I be mean, redeemed. He's a dumbass cop. He so. doesn't even have to be redeemed, but at least it no. makes me want to get to the end a little bit more instead of going, oh shit, there's 20 minutes left and he's still alive. I guess he's not going to get murdered. Like, right. damn it. That's that's a disappointing checklist to go like, wow, this man I've spent two hours with, I hope he gets murdered and I get to watch. And then also, as soon as they get Roxy out of the picture, here comes Catherine saying, oh, yeah, I used to have this lesbian roommate back in college. And, oh, it just so happens to be best. So we replaced one lesbian with another lesbian in the movie so that that lesbian can be killed. He clapped them both. Yeah, I'm a dozen lesbians, baby. Run him wild. I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> a dollar That's 120 time. lesbians, Marcus. I, hey, I say I got some stimulus money left. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wise investment in today's economy, sir. Oh, man. Yeah, invest in queer people. Yeah, I'm with that. Absolutely. It's just an OnlyFans of 120, like... It's like, where's Waldo? You got to go find your favorite lesbian in the pile. Hilarious. <laughs> Is it an actual human pile? Like someone uh, go out in a photographer and everything to photograph the pile of, of women? I'm, imagine- I'm literally imagining a where's Waldo, where it's like at a fairground and just a fuckload of lesbians <laughs> wedged into a, into frame. I mean, with drones, you could possibly pull the shot off pretty easily, I think. I'm saying. We could also just rent a helicopter. We have... Ooh, we have- that's- even better. That's exciting. I've never been in Since we have that, that big podcast money now. Oh, big podcast money. <laughs> One of the things I did want to point out that it is important to this movie in the context of something that was revealed roughly 20 plus years after the fact. So right now I'm looking at the interrogation scene and obviously that's like an iconic film, mm. film clip of the upskirt of Sharon Stone. Would you tell us the nature of your relationship with Mr. Boz? I had sex with him for about a year and a half. I liked having sex with him. He wasn't afraid of experimenting. I like men like that. Men who give me pleasure. He gave me a lot of pleasure. You ever uh, engage in any sadomasochistic activity? Exactly what did you have in mind, Mr. Corelli? But for, I'm not sure if you knew this cat or for our listeners who didn't know, but according to Sharon Stone, the first time that she saw the movie, she was pretty floored about the upskirt. Mm-hmm. And she was not aware that Paul Verhoeven was going to use that in the movie. So, further evidence of how much this man likes or does not like women, it's uh, kind of apparent in that story. Bad man. Bad yeah. man. He yeah. literally. If you're broadcasting a, a woman's snatch to the world without her consent, you get to go sit in the bad man corner. <laughs> you would think, right? Yeah. But uh, no, instead the movie went on to make millions of dollars and nothing happened to him. Go figure. I mean, that, you would but, you know that people have printouts of Sharon Stone's snatch hung on their wall. Like when the home yeah. video release happened, they were like, Yes. Mm-hmm. Like but that is that is the thing, though. It's such an iconic shot 
oh, which sounds really gross saying now. Mm-hmm. And it's like 20 years, like 20 years later, this is something that she had to live with this entire time that seemingly and only out. And only 20 years later, did she feel comfortable saying something about it? She yeah, still is, will not talk about certain things that happened to her. She's someone who definitely has been through some trauma. Thanks it is heartbreaking to me that her tenure as a star was so short yeah because every time i see her i'm like holy shit this woman has it she she's got it all of it i talked about this in our episode about like goodfellas casino etc etc but it was so nice to see her smile in a way that you could like see the smile lines which she does not do at all in basic instinct but like she got that range like, she can smile in such a way that it looks like that's all she's ever done her whole life. She's an incredible actress. Uh, but incredible also, actor. she can, she, she was kind of, you know what she was kind of giving me in Basic Instinct? Robin Wright in House of Cards. Mm. Oh, she may be better. Mm. Maybe I'm yeah. a I don't know. Well, it's kind of hard to say anything positive about House of Cards, given, uh, some of the, the talent involved. Down. Yeah, uh, I didn't watch the last season, but no, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I think it's it's a similar kind of aura to that. And I think that her everything being manicured to within an inch of its life is such a contrast to Nick, who just like has like he's like constantly like rubbing his face and like it oh seems God. like he's so just like t- 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 switches. there's just like shit like falling off of him all the time. Like he do- he does not have it together at all his apartment i saw his apartment and i was like i've been in nicer dorm rooms right like fuck homie his whole and, life is a mess yeah and he's always in like browns and shit and she's always in white so many browns on him yeah yeah i definitely noticed that this movie doesn't work without sharon stone no and that that is the contrast between the leads and showgirls and the leads and and basic instinct because one of the things that Showgirls gets derided for is the performance of Elizabeth Berkeley, which we'll get to. And you put a lesser actress in the role of Catherine Trammell. And, and there's no movie. It, does, it doesn't work. Verhoeven wanted Demi, wanted Demi Moore. Uh, Douglas suggested Julia Roberts and Meg Ryan. And the, they all the, passed. But also, wisely. they would have been like young, young at right. that point, right? They were really the other the other thing that I really like about Sharon Stone is that, like, I don't know how old she is. Like, she might be, like, looking at her in that movie, she could be 26, 36, 46, 56, or 1,006, and I would buy (laughs) all of them. Absolutely. And keep them in their uh, protective boxes on the shelf, yes. Of course. Could you imagine, like, a very young actress trying to play that? Like, I don't think it would land. It would be Poison Ivy vibes, man. If you remember Poison Ivy movies from HBO, where, where the... The girl would show up and it's like, oh, she's so so sweet and so hot. And the next thing she does, she's murdering your whole family. Like, actually, you bring in a poison ivy. That's actually a good point when thinking about even showgirls. Is how Elizabeth Berkeley and you kind of think about how there's been so many young actresses or just young pop stars or whatever that try to try to break into like actual serious film career but then they have to do smut like uh like there's this documentary that i just watched on showgirls kind of about all the totality of what showgirls sort of meant and contextualizing it and kind of thinking about it today and it, it's it is sad that these two different movies they kind of contrast a lot 
and you have Sharon Stone, who's at this point in her career in Basic Instinct, she's not like super accomplished, like, but she's like known. But this movie sends her to the stratosphere, and Showgirls it tanked Berkeley's career. Like she didn't really do anything other than kind of like small roles after that. Like I didn't see her again until any given Sunday in a movie role. I saw Roger Dodger, yeah, and he gave him a Sunday as a prostitute that got uh, a couple of minutes boning Al Pacino. Oh, yeah. I think that she might have a little bit of the Hayden Christensen problem, though, where I think she may be a victim of really bad directing. Because I've read some of Verhoeven's comments on Showgirls where he basically was like, I did it as a favor. Like, I didn't want to make this movie. I didn't feel any Oh, yeah, that's what he movie. says now. And oh, I feel no. like a lot of a lot of like Kyle McLaughlin and also the mm-hmm. Glen Glendra Glenda who plays um Crystal is Gina like Garshaw. okay whatever um, like I feel like <laughs> the they I don't care I feel like they just kind of were like oh we're like we know what we're doing we're gonna succeed in this movie whether or not this movie succeeds and I do not feel that Elizabeth Berkeley got that. And that might just be because she didn't get the support that she needed. She didn't because, I mean, she was literally fresh off of Saved by the Bell being canceled. And just like Marcus said, she had left, left Saved by the Bell. had been there doing that for three, five years, something like that. And she wanted to continue acting. There wasn't a whole lot of roles out there. So why else wouldn't she just jump into this major budget studio film and even though it's a little risque and a little but it, crazy it's kind of flash dance e the guy sex. who wrote flash dance wrote showgirls yeah. yeah well one i think paul robin's full of shit when he directed that movie he was directing it for fucking real and then it bombed and he kind of moonwalked his way back out of it but even on to the point of when you're talking about these other actors in the movie who they're not hamming it up because Verhoeven is not telling them to. Like, I fully believe that when Elizabeth Berkeley is wilding out, someone asking how she's doing, she's throwing french fries in the fucking air. I'm a million percent certain that Paul Verhoeven didn't tell her to turn it down. I'm very certain he told her to turn it up. Everyone else in the movie played it like it was kind of like a standard drama. Even Kyle McLaughlin like came out and said, like, yeah, we played this. Like, we didn't think this would be a bad movie. Like, we played this as, you know, this drama of these this different This movie on paper movie. works. Like, this is the thing that's making me fucking crazy, right? It works as a musical, too, apparently. Yeah, I don't doubt it for a fucking second. Also, I would just like to take a minute to compliment the the spinal integrity of Elizabeth Berkley. That scene in the pool with Kyle McLaughlin, I was like, yes, girl, get God. that back. Earn that back brace. I mean, that's, that's that Earn baby. that back brace. That of any movie in the 1990s, that may be the most absurd movie scene of anything Can I just just say I screamed so loud when the neon palm trees happened that my neighbors came over to make sure I was okay. Wow. And then then they they were like, what is what is this? And I was like, it's showgirls. And they went, oh, (laughs) world passing moral judgments on showgirls in 2021. That's crazy. Her neighbors and her parents. <laughs> yeah, listen, I'm never going to be able to show my face outside again. Uh, no more driving movies of cats. Yeah, no. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Malachi. And this is Alejandra. 
and you're sitting on the couch and your life is passing you by because you're not watching Insert Name Here. Catch us Wednesdays at 8 p.m. on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you missed us, you can catch us on Friday on Spotify and Amazon. Yeah, obvious nonsense, gang, gang. Hyper Podcast Squad, you never take us down. And even I think most of the performances work. But I I feel, having now watched this fucking boondoggle, <laughs> that... I I disagree with your claim that Verhoeven cared about this as much as his other movies that he's made because there are a lot of fucking details he let slide. Um, there's a I lot think of the moments where the there, really there's good. I think there's a lot of and I mean like dumb fucking details, right? But like these are not issues I noticed with RoboCop at all, which I did revisit because I hate myself. But <laughs> RoboCop's good. <laughs> I, I did not enjoy it, but I respect that it's probably more fun if if I had friends. Anyway, um, so we're your friends. <laughs> yeah, but you're not like here. Like oh. I, if I were watching this with people, I think I would have a lot more fun like Robocop experiencing fun it with, with people mm-hmm. than just like watching it alone in the dark. But anyway, there's a lot of moments where like there's scenes in the dressing room where people's makeup change in between camera shots. And it's, like, very clear that nobody was paying attention. But that doesn't happen in RoboCop. Like, those little fuck-ups don't happen in his other movies. They didn't even happen in Basic Instinct. So the fact that, like, he wasn't paying attention as much just to me implies that maybe on, like, the macro level he cared, but he clearly was not as checked in. I don't know if it was because he was doing the ring coke or what, but, like... It just oh, didn't seem. Oh. It didn't seem as careful. It no, didn't I, seem I, as careful as his other movies. I think a lot of the storytelling in the film, like visually, I think a lot of it is very on point. Like, okay, so like the whole like you know you said like the makeup thing, like yeah. okay, like some there's some small details that are missed, you know that. I guess to kind of get lost in the editing sauce, but there's a, a lot of intentionality in Showgirls that he does pull off that's pretty successful in kind of telling like the story that he wants to tell. Though, I think the mirror of Elizabeth Berkeley and Gina Gershon, Gina Gershon, yeah. So like a lot of the storytelling that you do visually in that movie, uh, basically how they are kind of these mirror characters. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is pretty successful in this movie. And I think the the visual storytelling of this kind of ditzy girl trying to chase her dreams. Uh, she's changing her name. She's moving to the big city to kind of p- to pursue this life that she wants. And then she's getting caught up in a lifestyle, but then she realizes ultimately it's just as fucked up and and bad for it is before she even came into the whole thing. I think a lot of that visually he does pretty successfully. I think the parallels between Nomi and, and Crystal are, are pretty striking as well, Marcus, because I mean, obviously Nomi wants to be the number one girl and Crystal Crystal is the number one girl. She pushes her down the flight steps and breaks her hip, breaks her hip to, to take what she wants to rise to the top of the strip world. And ultimately once she gets there, I mean, she's on top of everything, but then she's she's still not happy. And then that awful thing happens to her friend Molly, and it's not an awful thing. Literally, it's more rape in a Paul Verhoeven vehicle. And Molly just gets, and a, and a person of color on top of that, just gets shellacked 
And so all of a sudden it turns into this revenge flick. But also um, this all happens in the last 25 minutes of the right. movie. Yes. We set and, and everything forget, else to get to that point. Yeah. Of which might forget, be like, arguably the best part. On top of all that, Kyle McLaughlin is blackmailing her. Like this is all introduced in the last 25 minutes of this goddamn movie. Chloe and Christelle. Your father killed your mother then killed himself. He ran away from a foster home in Oakland, December 1990. Arrests. Denver soliciting. San Jose soliciting. Cheyenne soliciting. Shall I read you the rest of them? I'm a possession of crack cocaine. Assault with a deadly weapon. Tell me something. Why did you stop hooking? You had your future pretty well mapped out for yourself. I did what I had to do. Just like you did with Crystal. Not a whore. No. You're not. You're gonna be a big star. <laughs> Your face is gonna be up on billboards. You're gonna make a lot of money for the stardust. No wonder Trey like, can't get it out, man. <laughs> oh, he was getting I, up in that pool, Kellen. I mean, <laughs> and the strip club. He broke Kyle, it. That's Kyle McLaughlin saying <laughs> the phrase, you have low self-esteem, you're a great fuck. I was like, wow, if that, that should be more people's Tinder bios, is what that should be. <laughs> it's words not to live by, for sure. You didn't think it was visually hilarious when Kyle McLaughlin was, he, he made that phony, you know, kind of stink to the guy about, you know, selling the dances as prostitutes mm-hmm. and then he comes back on stage with a volcano in the background and the red lights and he's like <laughs> of course i don't give a fuck about all that come up here buddy like that was fucking hilarious just how gross <laughs> and grandiose oh, in that no. five seconds were i think that there's a lot of good shit in here but i do think that like to me, the lack of attention to detail in certain areas that Verhoeven has shown to care about in previous films implies to me that maybe he really only was, you know, 60% dialed in or whatever, which is fine. I don't know how good attention I could pay if there were just, like, topless women everywhere. I don't know. I'm kind of an idiot and, like, boobs. He was also coming off of the hangover of the success of Basic Instinct, too. So if we're going to give him any kind of maybe a pass on that kind of stuff, it's the fact that Basic Instinct was, I mean, RoboCop and Total Recall were both huge, obviously. But Basic Instinct, everybody didn't think it was going to work. And it became this worldwide phenomenon and it blew up his profile even more. It's like, not only does he does that, does he do action? He can do erotic thrillers, too. Look at this man go. So... When he had the opportunity to take the second peak girl from Saved by the Bell and put her in a vehicle like this, where everything is just completely blown out and overly sexualized, and it's Vegas, it's bright lights, it's 94. I mean, yeah, some details slip, but my question from that is, does a better actress make showgirls successful? And not a cult classic like it is. I'd say, does that make it successful? If Sharon Stone is Nomi, are we nah, talking about a different she, film, or is it still terrible? If Elizabeth Berkley isn't over the top, this is probably a D-plus movie that just gets lost in the 90s shuffles of, of erotic movies. I don't know what all this stuff is. I'll order for you. Don't they have brown rice and vegetables? 
Do you like brown rice and vegetables? Yeah. You do? Sort of. Really? It's worse than dog food. <laughs> it is. I've had dog food. You have? Mm-hmm. Long time ago. Doggy chow. I used to love doggy chow. <laughs> I used to love doggy chow, too. I feel like a bad feminist for enjoying it as much as I did. No. Hey, did y'all see my review of this on Letterboxd? In my opinion, this movie is so extreme, you can only review it in either with a one star or a five star. Like, <laughs> I, I, I legit don't think there's a middle. And whichever one you pick, you're absolutely right for picking it. I picked this as a fucking five star. And I put in my review an absolute achievement in absurdity. Like, this movie is <laughs> so fucking over the fucking top that it's And it doesn't try to hide brain. it at all. Like, I, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think the success of the film is just how fucking much Elizabeth Berkeley's going for it. <laughs> she's like unleashed when she, I swear to God, if someone asks me, how am I doing? And I throw French fries in the air <laughs> as a fucking response, just know I'm going through this little thing called life. And <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like, it's just, oh my God, I can't explain it. But it's just so fucking bad. It's good, but there's a lot of things that I think is is done really well. In all seriousness, like I think other than her, <laughs> I the, think I honestly don't think she's. Stunning. I don't think she's as bad as as we're giving her a rap for either. By the way, no, n- not at all. <sighs> not, no, let, let me go ahead and get into it. Let me get into it. So. I, I already said if a better known actress like a Sharon Stone or anybody else came and did this role, would the movie work? Marcus said probably not. If Elizabeth Berkeley had dialed it down and just kind of faded in obscurity. Oh, it's striptease. So, no, it doesn't work. Oh, yeah, striptease definitely didn't work. But when I first saw it, man, and I watched it, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe Elizabeth Berkeley did this film as her first film. That was my initial response, as, even as a child. Even despite everything I just saw, my eyes were like... This, I was like, man, I can't believe she did this kind of movie. And obviously it hurt her career. But in every subsequent viewing, and I wasn't even a kid when I first saw it. I'm a liar. I saw it at college my, my freshman year. That's the first time I had even seen it. So that was like 2001 when I first saw it. Every subsequent viewing of this movie, I find her performance to be a little bit better. Honestly. <laughs> I just enjoy it, man. I, 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 yeah, she's over the top. Yeah, she's going doing too much. A lot of times, it just like seems like she's overreacting, overacting. But if there was anybody else who was going to go up for Nomi Malone, or even if they're like, we're going to redo this and have and have this actress play Nomi or whatever, I, I, I still think Elizabeth Berkeley's mm-hmm. performance is kind of iconic and untouchable. 
You know, I mean, it's it's wholly untouchable. No one's fucking touching this performance. I'll tell you that much. But I will say, Kat, one of the things that they probably should have explained a little bit more is how you know she's definitely a, a cokehead. Like they they don't really explain it. Like she's so on a twelve at the beginning of the movie. There's no kind of explanation as to why she's that high strung. She but, well, they they do say that she's been arrested for possession of crystal or yeah, of a coke crack crack cocaine yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know she does coke because the only the only tell that she does just cocaine is because after she bones Kyle McLaughlin, she's leaving in the morning. Waking up in the morning, she does the bump on her fingernail like a fucking pro. Like, and it's like, okay. And that's the that, only time she does it, though, in the whole... Like, yeah. Every it's other time small you detail see that it, I, she that says you no. You forget about it until you watch the movie. Yeah, it's very small. But that one bump, that one bump took her to its fucking 12. <laughs> It said it all. But I mean, it also implies that she's she's been on her own for a long time since her parents were murder suicided. Um, And like, you know, I think she kind of had to do what she had to do. And one thing that I think would be really interesting and I kind of wish the movie had dove into a little more is how old is she? She she kind of implied that she was 20, but. In actuality, I think she was actually like nineteen. Mm-hmm. She feels she so, feels very young. Yeah, she's like she, Versace. I got it at Versace. <laughs> Versace. <laughs> you got me a Versace bag. I love you, you Carrie. Got me a Versace bag, Carrie Bradshaw. Give me my fucking Versace. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's what Versace means to me. I really, I really feel like, (laughs) I really feel like there was almost a good movie here. (laughs) And like, that's that's how you're supposed to feel. That's, that's, I'm struggling. I'm upon the struggle bus uh, with this here picture show. I was thinking about a little bit, uh, Michelle Visage of RuPaul's Drag Race and general MTV 90s-ness says that this is her favorite movie of all time. And I'm increasingly wondering if that's why I don't like her. I was going to say one of the best things I did when I, after I watched this movie, I immediately watched this documentary, like I said, studying showgirls. I think you guys should both watch it. It's on Amazon. It costs like $4. It's called You Don't Know Me. N-O-M-I. They do a really great job of like I said, explaining and contextualizing the movie for what it is. One of the things that they actually point out that I think was really smart, and I know that you said, you know, if that one trans person was liking this movie a lot, it's a bit iffy, but some of the kind of the queer, like, subtext of this person who loses their family through some fucked up means, they change their name, they chase their dreams in this new total place, which I think, you know, a lot of disenfranchised queer people can kind of identify with. Can, can we talk about the whole dance scene? <laughs> Please. Which, which one? one? Like, one when she's, like, she's at Homeboy's studio, man. And it's like, it's oh, like they're doing the, yeah. the serious dance moves and oh, oh, serious dance move. And then. She starts grinding on him, and then he's like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna slide in the home, and then she's like, 
I'm on my period. And then she walks out. <laughs> I always loved that scene, yo. I always loved it. She did James Dirty, and he deserved it, man, with his nasty 90s short hair dreads, man. And he looked like. Man, why are you hating? Why no, is there a white same. girl with dreads? Because it's the uh, 90s. Well, the reason I'm hating well, no, those are micro braids. Anytime in the 90s, there was a black role, especially in the early 90s, they always either they already had them or they'd slap those short dreads that rounded around the face on them. So it was a very common look in a lot of films. There were a lot of mop heads back then. Like, um, well, because it wasn't it wasn't necessarily fashionable as it was kind of in like the late. 2010s or whatever, but nah, that's my man from fucking Speed, bro. We, I, we, I know that's my, I know that's the man from Speed, man. I'm not trying to disrespect Glenn Plummer, but I'm just saying that they could have done his hair better justice. That's all I'm saying. His hair was, his hair was fine. Let's talk about more of the sexy dance scenes. The BDS, <laughs> the BDS dance scene is like, I think it's actually probably the last one, like the motorcycles and shit. Woo, doggy. That is a woo doggy situation. Oh man. Uh the the choreography in this movie is outstanding. Like and, and, and that's like that's another reason why I think he took it seriously. Like that's a, he did didn't a have lot of storytelling of dancers. He just had to film the choreography. He didn't he didn't actually do it. Right, Kat? Could you imagine just in the background, if you look real close, there's Paul Verhoeven like in his like showgirls crew polo fucking busting a move along with them he was busting something all right i yeah that's really the sense i was getting uh, and that's why i think maybe he was a little distracted while this movie was being made but it's a cocaine it's just me um cocaine cocaine. oh yeah i'm not gonna name this episode cocaine and tits but yeah please don't <laughs> every time i come on and talk about sex or or horror movies or so, what conclusions? <laughs> are, there, are there are there any other conclusions from these two movies? And then, and I mean, I know I'm guessing, telling you saw Starship Troopers and RoboCop. What conclusions, other than Paul Verhoeven thinks very lowly of Americans, he loves cocaine and loves titties. Can we come to about this man as director? Because I think that's those are the three things. I can't think of anything else. One thing that I've noticed, and you can you can say that he loves cocaine, but I'm not sure that I actually agree with that. Everyone we see use cocaine is either evil or gets punished in some way. So these are anti-drug movies. <laughs> in oh, in RoboCop, yeah. that happens. In Showgirls, that pretty much happens as well. In Basic Instinct, that also happens. I think that Paul Verhoeven hates Americans, hates when Americans do cocaine, Unclear on how he feels about the rest of the world and the cocaine situation. And sure does love some titties. And also probably has some weird femdom fantasies. Mm. Uh, so I'm just increasingly grateful that he did make RoboCop a man. Because RoboCop would be a fetish movie if he, it was a woman. RoboCop. Please don't unzip Ellen. parts of my mind that don't need to be unzipped. I mean, I um, bet there is a RoboCop porn. There's um, probably a femdom RoboCop porn. Um, yeah, RoboCop. Well, that that doesn't make sense because if it's a woman, that's the robot. Unless it's a pegging I mean, hey, fantasy. Hey, it's a I pegging mean, hey. fantasy. They pegging out here. God, <laughs> can you just imagine the metal plates of the dick? Like, clink, 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 clink. I mean, hey. 
<laughs> like balls sound like door knockers. Clang, clang, <laughs> clang, clang. <laughs> little pig, little pig, let me in. Um, I just, I don't know. I hope Paul Verhoeven's okay. I think my biggest issue that I, I have with all these movies is that all of the women who are assaulted are, are from that like point on treated as like nuisances or accessories. Yeah. Not that he's great at women to begin with, but at least Nomi like sees reflected in her friend that like, oh, I'm going down a bad path. And then a bad thing happens to her friend. And she goes, I have an opportunity to redeem myself mm-hmm. and chooses to do that. But like all Molly does is go like, no, do the right thing, and then get the shit kicked out of her, and that's it. That's her arc. Like, she doesn't yeah. get an arc. And they also cram all of Nomi's arc into the last 25 minutes of the fucking movie. After us wondering who the hell she is for the first hour and a half. Yeah, and also, like, I, I don't know. Who is this I, crazy girl? Kyle, Kyle, I really Whoa. have to, I feel like I have to give Kyle McLaughlin credit for clearly thinking he might get an Oscar nomination out of this whole rigmarole. Like, That's he's trying. Legendary. He's Yo, between, trying. Oh, did he have better hair in this or in Dune? Cause... I, I do love the pseudo-mullet of Dune. I don't know that I needed the weird emo bangs he had here. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the that bangs. So that heavy. Kinda, well, you know, what it, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, the villain in The Fifth <laughs> Element. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yep. has the bangs in the like bowl. Yeah, it reminded me of that. <laughs> also, like hi, hi, Kyle McLaughlin. I know you check TikTok fairly often, so if you want to clip this audio and invite him onto the podcast with it, uh, I think that would hey, be neat. I, I would love to talk to you, Kyle McLaughlin. So if you would love to be on, we should do this again sometime with Cat and Mark. All you got to do is. Email Marcus at his email address, which we will email your people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or just also, at show like, love on Twitter. At underscore Chinetti on Twitter. That yeah, works. Say, same on TikTok. Duet me. Stitch this. It'll be fine. Make me TikTok famous. I do want to point out, you talk about the side characters kind of not mattering. I mean, in this movie, showgirls, definitely the black people are only used as vehicles to yeah. know me to better heights. And then yep. they base and then their stories. Basically, he ends up impregnating a woman he doesn't even like. And the woman is beaten and left for unconscious. So I feel like James at least like does some stuff, though. Like, yeah. he he takes some risks and he does some things and, like, Molly keeps her job. Like, she doesn't even have, like, a moment where she rises to great heights, but she flew too close to the sun yeah. and, like, falls, like James does at least. Like, Nomi she, fights her battles for her. Yeah, and it's, it's I don't know, White I really feel like they, they could have replaced her with, like, I bought myself my first nice handbag. Someone stole it from me, so I killed that. Like the it, it's not she's not even a character. She's an accessory. Yeah. So like even for I think his character is kind of her version of like the idealistic dancer, really just trying to make it happen, and then he just kind of falls flat in his face, which unfortunately a lot of dancers kind of do. But Kels, dance. what lessons? Have you learned from your life experience with this Verhoeven character? Once you got a couple movies under your belt, man, and he makes some money, you you essentially can make whatever the hell you want to for a couple years and get away with it. Because that's essentially what he did. 
like the man was like probably one of the hottest directors in Hollywood. So when he got this opportunity to direct Showgirls, man, and have that 40, 40, 45 million dollar budget to run around Vegas and and shoot these women in their natural dancing elements. He he shot a shot and it failed spectacularly while also somehow working spectacularly as well. He learned some hard lessons, obviously. He 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 got out of the erotic genre after this, went back to Starship Troopers and kind of slowly faded into smaller films and Hollow Man. Female. Oh, oh my God, Denise Richards, yeah. And he went and did Hollow Man, which also kind of either has a cult following or some people just absolutely hate it. So he, he, he burned just like flying too close to the sun, man. He, he burned brightly. And then quite quickly, we found out his wings were molting. You know, the wildest line of, of just dialogue in this whole movie. Which, okay. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> they all got AIDS and shit. <laughs> That's not funny. That's not funny. You dance like when you fucked that guy last night. What guy? That guy with the chick. You took him in the back. I didn't fuck him. Yeah, you did. You fucked him and her. Are you following me around? I didn't fuck anybody. I I saw you. Man, everybody got AIDS and shit. You know, what is it that you think you do? You fuck them without fucking them. That's what you do. Well, it ain't right. You got too much talent for it to be right. Get out of here. Bitch, I'm telling you the truth. That's not funny no more. <laughs> Stop laughing so hard. An achievement in absurdity. They all got eight. Five stars. Like my baseline on Letterbox is three. Ooh. You either go down from three or you go up from three. And you just said five. You said one or five. For me, a five star movie in my eyes is a movie that when it's crafted when it's out there for the public to consume and i look at it i think that this is a remarkable piece of filmmaking that only a handful of people could write could direct could act when i saw this movie i immediately knew that this was something that could not be topped in any way shape or form so a couple of movies, you know, obviously that, you know, Schindler's List, Casablanca, Showgirls, five fucking stars. <laughs> Absolutely. Bitch, I'm telling you the truth. See, for me, this falls kind of in the same, like, weird category as, like, other midnight movies. Oh, yeah. I affectionately rate, like, The Room the the Tommy Wiseau project that's like a three and a half star movie like it's actually a one star movie but I three and a half stars enjoy it probably a bit more than three and a half stars but like I can't pretend the movie is good but that is one man's <laughs> like heart and soul passion project he just happens to be absolutely terrible at movies yeah um, and did it anyway. Yeah, and like he has a really weird TV show that I watched two episodes of because my partner was like, "This is a good idea," and I was like, "Okay." It wasn't. <laughs> um, and that was the last time he got to make any suggestions. Shut yeah, it down. I'm in charge now. <laughs> Shutting the studio down. So for me, Showgirls is like I think I'm gonna have to give it like a three and a half, like the room, because. I really dig a lot of elements of it, but I can't pretend it's not a one-star movie in a five-star trench coat. Well, 
all ratings are kind of not kind of all ratings are subjective to whatever we kind of even feel like. And also, I think the the execution versus your interpretation and kind of reacting to it, all that all that plays in effect. Like, I I I do think that if Elizabeth Berkeley was on at eight instead of a twelve the whole movie. I think it's a different movie. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't work the it, same way. It doesn't work the same way, you know. And it's it's legit probably one of those movies that comes out. It's like a one and a half, two star movie. No one talks about it. It goes to Skinamax and then it dies on the vine. But for the absurdity of it, you can definitely see why people were very anti it. But for me, I do think that I, I'm, I'm not even going to take it out, like, because I think it's excuse making. I think that the directorial choices that he makes when he succeeds, I think they're really interesting and fun to be a part of. And when they don't succeed, I still think on some level, even kind of engaging with it and why things fail. I think for this movie in particular, I think it's so interesting to kind of think about. So, yeah, man, I stick by the five stars. <laughs> I stick I, by the five one, stars. One thing, though, that the more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm just like, mm-hmm. I really just wish this movie was made by somebody who, like, treated the characters like people. I really think that the script is not bad. I think that, like, I'm I'm so struggling with the fact that this is almost a good movie. And, like, I think the reason I can't rate it any higher than I rated it is that, like, some people definitely use this movie as the reason they hate women. Because mm. they're like, bitches Back. are all like this. And, like, this is, this is like, a piece of art that exposes the fact that women are garbage. And mm-hmm. all they care about is stepping over other women. And, and like, again, sell energy. Yeah, and I, I just, I can't really forgive the movie for that. I want to. Nor because, should you. Because, like... I also feel like there were definitely some like little little queer queer children who saw this and were like, "Mom, when I grow up, I'm going to pretend to be a woman." And like, cool, good for them. But like, I don't know. <laughs> As a woman, I'm kind of like, a- am I a bad feminist for liking this? Maybe. No. no uh, not no, not not true at no. all. Because you you clearly can identify things that are fucked up with the movie. Yes. And you have a struggle against that versus the failures and successes of the movie. It'd be one thing if, and even if I said like, oh yeah, this movie's fucking perfect. You know, everything's great. Like, no, like there's all, this movie is definitely flawed, but if you engage with it, especially the way you do with a lot of these, you know, pieces of art, you engage with it in a very kind of thoughtful, intelligent way. So going a little hard on yourself. So no, like you're, you're, you're a great feminist because you're a great feminist, not because you think you're not a bad feminist because you think showgirls are three and a half. Movie. No, it de- definitely doesn't have any effect on your feminism, but it, it's all about the context that you see the film at. Like when, when I saw it as a horny, co- uh, horny college kid, like I was like, it's like, man, this is awful, but man, that's, she's kind of hot. Right. And there's a lot of boobs in this movie. That's cool. Right. And then as I started watching it, you know, as years pass and I got mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties, there is a lot of bad stuff in this movie that you, that, you know, doesn't fly as far as the plot 
as far as what the film is trying to accomplish. Yes, Elizabeth Berkley's overacting. Gina Gershon is is kind of perfect, uh, honestly, she's, though. She is doing the most she's, in this movie. She knows what she's doing, yes. If you want to talk about somebody coming in just laying it in there, ni- nice nice and easy, like Ooh, once, that, once bound, they cove. Bound. <laughs> bound to fall in love. Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Showin Mad Love on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow our Twitter page at Cat and Mark and read us at CatSeesMovies.tumblr.com and TheMarkRob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?